Hi there, and welcome to another edition of Making Money with the financial coach, Ron Hebert. And Ron, we want to talk a little bit about some of the indicators that you can watch from the market and try to get an inkling of where things might be heading. And there are so many of those that come into play. And we just went through a midterm election down in the States back in November. Let's start there. What can that tell us historically? Well, essentially, we all know what the negative indicators are, because if you watch the media, there's Trump's negotiations with China. You've got China imports and exports showing that the economy is definitely slowing down. You've got the Brexit vote. You've got so many different issues, including the impeachment, potential impeachment of the U.S. Uh, president. So there's just a lot of things going on in the U.S., and you're barraged with negative headlines all the time. But there are some positive indicators out there, which frankly are pretty much overlooked by the markets as a whole and have a very good track record of being right, to be honest with you. And the first one is what we call the midterm election indicator. And if you take a look since 1946, the S&P 500 has gone up in every 12-month period after the U.S. midterm elections. That's 18 elections. And in the following year, after the midterm, the gain on the S&P 500 was 16.7%. And it didn't matter which party won the House or the Senate. Investors historically came out winners. So Frankly, we've never had a one-year period after a midterm where markets have gone down. Obviously, this could be a first, but frankly, that's very positive, and that's certainly a contrarian indicator. Well, when you look back at the, at the period right after the election, the month of December was very, very volatile on the markets. I mean, we had some really big drops, and then we'd have a little bit of a bounce back, and then we'd have another really big drop. And you think of stocks like Apple that took it on the chin because of probably trade issues with China, big part of that. So, you know, I guess, as you say, this is the first time for everything, but historically speaking, we're on pretty stable ground here. Yeah, historically speaking, the year after the midterms has been a very good year for markets. I mean, 16.7% is the average return over all 18 midterm elections since 1946. That's nothing to sneeze at. Those are really solid numbers. Okay, now let's talk about some of the other things that can influence this. You talked about the, the negative barrage of news that's out there. The media indicator is something that is fascinating, and you were telling me about a study you saw in The Economist magazine. Now, first of all, for anybody who's listening who's not aware of what The Economist is, let's give them a little overview here. Well, The Economist is a British publication, and essentially it has some of the best financial writers and, frankly, some of the best financial minds in the world that write financial columns, not just about what's happening in the UK or United States. They've got a global perspective. They talk about stocks. They talk about bonds. They talk about mortgages and real estate. They really cover the entire investment scene. And anyone who is a professional in the industry essentially has got a copy of The Economist sitting on the corner of their desk because what they say is very, very influential. And one of the things that they point out is that negatives can often be a positive. <laughs> oh, totally. And frankly, that the more extreme a headline is, more often than not, 
if you took that investment advice and just did the absolute opposite, you would have done far better. Now, according to this study, they, uh, two researchers went and took 44 of the most optimistic or pessimistic headlines in The Economist over the period between 1998 to 2016. In other words, they took the most sensational headlines. And they found that if you took the most pessimistic headlines and you did just exactly the opposite. So generally, if they're pessimistic, they think something's going to go down. Well, if you were contrarian and you invested in it, so if, for example, if they thought oil was going down, you did the opposite, you bought oil. On average, within a one-year period, if you did just exactly the opposite of the contrarian headline, the negative headline, and you bought something, you would have been up 18%, (laughs) which is pretty pathetic, actually. (laughs) And then if you took the most positive headlines out of these 44, and you did just exactly the opposite, so instead of bought the investment or sector they were talking about, if you shorted it, in other words, you made a bet that it would go down, on average, you're up 7.5%, which considering that uh, typically if these headlines often often the most positive ones go straight down after they're uh, written up in the economist so seven and a half percent number frankly is phenomenal well on this day and age with with interest rates where they are and often returns you know everybody kind of shoots for a number out there if you get five six percent seven and a half is a very very attractive number no kidding so now these are these are things that you these are indicators as we say, positives and negatives. But some of the other things that weigh in here, the markets are very cyclical. I think anybody who's an investor knows that. There are times when you go up, times when you go down. That's another area that you focused on on this one. Absolutely. It's called seasonality. And if you break the markets down into six-month periods, November to April, and then May to October, you'll find that there's an incredible difference in performance. And according to Stock Traders Almanac, $10,000 invested in the 30 stocks of the Dow Jones Industrial Average between November and April since 1950 to the end of 2017, that's 67 years, would have grown to $1,008,721 or 7.5% a year, which there again, over that long term, that's a very good rate of return. The same amount between May and October, so you invest in May, sell in October of each year over the same span, your $10,000 would have grown to 11031 You would have just barely broken even. In 67 and, years. Yes, yeah. You know, this works out to return a 0.6% a year. I mean, frankly, if you collected daily interest in your bank account, just left it there, you You'd would have outperformed be, this. You would have done better. So now what, you know, you did this for a lot of years. You worked as a, as a portfolio manager for a lot of years. What would be your theory as to why that happens? Like, why is it that black hole exists at one time of the year and the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow is in the other part? Well, essentially, if you take a look at the year as it goes along. Analysts, I don't know, maybe they had too much eggnog over Christmas, Yeah. but they tend to be very, very optimistic about the way the world is going to turn out economically over the next 12 months. So typically, analysts are the most positive on their economic and on their stock predictions at the beginning of the year. 
And as the year wears along and more and more negative headlines come out, typically what happens is they start reducing their estimates. And usually by the second half of the year, that's when the gloom sets in. And typically in the third quarter of the year is often when you see analysts resetting their their predictions for the rest of the year and wearing a lot of egg on their face, to be honest with you. And so you get this flood of analysts lowering their expectations and all of a sudden markets are looking at that and saying, hey, this isn't the pot of gold we expected at the beginning of the year. Maybe I should take some off the table. And so you get that effect of uh, stocks being sold, more being sold than being bought. And also the other effect you get as we move in toward the end of the year is tax loss selling. So and window dressing and things like yeah, that. Yeah, window dressing, tax loss selling. You, you sell your losers so that you can write off some of the losses against your gains. And window dressing, which as you so eloquently put it, is simply mutual funds don't want investors to see the dogs in their portfolio. And usually their year ends at the end of October. So they're selling all their dogs. So on the last day of October, it shows that they've got all this great stuff. And then early November, they buy it all back again. So typically, you've got a lot of moving parts toward the end of the year. And often it can be uh, it can lead to that underperformance during that six-month period. So moving ahead on making money, these are some of the areas we want to delve into. We want to talk about uh, if you're thinking about buying mutual funds, if you're thinking about buying exchange-traded funds, if you're thinking about buying single stocks, we want to try to help you with some guidance as to how you should approach those different things. But to recap what we've talked about this time around, often don't let the, don't let the headlines fool you. Is that a good way to put it? Absolutely. So you want to be very careful basing investment decisions on the media flow that you get on global macroeconomic events, uh, sector events, political events, and the list goes on and on. And typically, there's a lot of other things that you should be looking at. My advice to most people is to try and tune this stuff out. Because as Warren Buffett has said many times, if you're listening to all this macroeconomic machinations, uh, frankly, it tends to be white noise. You want to find companies that you can buy at a reasonable price. You want to find fixed income that has a good credit rating that's going to be able to pay out the income they promise you over the period of time that the issue is outstanding. On real estate, here again, you want to buy at a good price, especially you want to buy the as it's often been said, you want to buy the best location you possibly can because it's always location, 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 but you want to buy at a really good price. And so you almost have to put blinders on and focus on the value of the asset that you're evaluating and let all the white noise wash away around you. Otherwise, you will be paralyzed by indecision and frankly, you'll end up doing nothing. You, know, you mentioned Warren Buffett's name for some of our listeners who maybe aren't aware of Mr. Buffett. I think he's widely regarded as the world's most successful investor over the period of, what, the last 50 or 60 years, I guess. They don't call him the Oracle of Omaha for nothing. <laughs> and there's a guy who, I, I could remember reading an article with him some time ago where he said, why don't I own this company? He was a big fan of Coca-Cola. 
he would drink Coca-Cola at the office. So he went out and bought Coca-Cola stock. The other one that I always liked was how he, he said, no, I look at myself in the mirror every morning when I'm shaving. Why don't I know, own stock in Gillette? So he, he maybe takes a simplistic view to things. Obviously, he does a lot of analysis before he pulls the trigger on a deal. But he's also somebody who, who buys a stock and holds on to it, right? Yeah, he finds companies, frankly, that benefit from a habitual behavior. So these are the kind of companies that you use their product over and over again, whether it's uh, razor blades or frankly, soft drinks or soft drinks, or when you come home and turn on your lights at night or your heat, especially during these cold months. And he also likes to buy companies that have a moat around them. And what he means by a competitive moat is, for example, like a railroad, which he owns Burlington Northern. In most communities, there's one rail spur going through town, and you either use it and pay the price that they are offering you, or frankly, you don't end up delivering your product because there's no other way to do so. Or generally, you only have one internet provider, or you have maybe one or two cell phone companies. So the competition is limited, and he likes those kind of businesses because they are much more durable in being able to maintain their pricing and thus their profitability. And the other thing that he does is he likes to keep management in place too, right? He, uh, he, he believes in the people. If, he, if he's investigating buying a company, he likes the look of it. He likes the people who are running it. He leaves them there, lets them do the job. Generally, he's very, very hands-off, and, and typically he's not micromanaging the businesses at all. And we'll have a show on that at a future date just looking at management because, frankly, that is a very, very important component of picking securities is just making sure that you've got competent people in place and probably even more important is they're not too greedy. So to review, don't let the negatives worry you. Don't let the positives influence you too heavily. Watch the market cycles. We're in the the midst of the good part of the cycle right now, but when spring comes, maybe you want to be taking a vacation. (laughs) Yeah, good time to uh, maybe hit the beach. All right. There's so much information to digest when it comes to investing, and that's what we're here for with the financial coach, Ron Hebert on making money. We want to try to simplify a little bit, try to remove some of the mystery or the glaze around it, because a lot of people, frankly, get very very frightened, I think, when you start talking about this. If you're a new investor, especially young people, this is an important part to securing your future. So we want to make sure that we try to give you the best information we can. We thank you for joining us. And remember, if you have a question you'd like us to address or an idea for a show that we might want to take up, you can reach us through the cfcw.com website. That's making money at cfcw.com. Ron Hebert is a retired portfolio manager. I'm Gord Whitehead, a retired broadcaster. Thanks for joining us. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.